Thank you for listening to the Life Church of Kansas City, Missouri. Consider supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com, subscribing, and sharing this message with your friends. God bless you. And peace. Now, one of, one of those sounds a lot better than the other. Death versus life and peace. But further, Paul goes on to say, he says that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Whereas those who are led by the Spirit, they will be called the children of God. It is the Spirit of God living inside of us that will give us the victory. And that can keep our flesh in check and in subjection. But that doesn't mean that our flesh won't give up without a fight. The age and the culture that we live in today would not necessarily agree with what the Apostle Paul said. We live in an individualistic society that has increasingly become more and more saturated, focused, and emphasized on self. A statement like, therefore, submit to God, would not go over so well in our culture today. A recent study by five psychologists suggests that today's college students tend to have more self-centeredness issues than those of the past. These psychologists used an evaluation in which they surveyed over 16,000 college students. The evaluation was called the Narcissistic Personality Inventory and it has been around for decades. Nar narcissism is a term that is generally used to describe selfishness, conceit, or egotism, particularly in regard to how people relate socially. Those tested must give rated responses to uh, a few of the statements. I brought in a couple of the, the examples from this, from this inventory. So here's the first. If I ruled the world, I, it would be a better place. Another example from this was, I think that I am a special person. And another one, I can live my life the way that I want to. The scores have been spiraling in recent years. The study's lead author, professor from the University of San Diego State, he believes that we as a society have gone overboard in telling our children how special they are when we should be showing them their responsibilities to others. The study suggests that narcissists are more likely to have romantic relationships that are short-lived, they are at risk for infidelity, lack emotional warmth, and are prone to exhibit game-playing, dishonesty, and over-controlling violent behaviors. Also, those with the high scores on the inventory tend to be cheaters on tests. So this study is just one of the evidences of the individualistic society that we are living in today. How many times have we heard people say in recent years, it's my body, it's my choice. In 2013, the Oxford English Dictionary named the word selfie as the word of the year. Some would say that technology and social media are responsible for this obsession with self. However, an author, Will Storr, he wrote the book entitled Selfie, How We Became So Self-Obsessed and What It Is Doing to Us. In his book, he says that he believes that this technology that shows us, this technology um, just shows us who we are, but it does not change who we are. So the technology shows us who we are. It does not change who we are. And I would tend to agree with him. The flesh and the carnal nature of humanity that fights to fulfill its desires and wants has been apparent in the human race from the beginning of time. 
and technology is just the most recent venue and means that it's being used in. So herein lies our problem. We all have flesh, each and every one of us. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I got flesh. Come on, do it. Turn to your neighbor and say, I got flesh. Well, we all live in this culture and age that's promoting and satisfying the flesh and whatever it wants to desire. But now turn to your neighbor and say, but I got spirit. When we are filled with the Holy Ghost, we have the spirit of Jesus Christ within us to be a comforter, to be an instructor, and to give us the victory over sin and the flesh. Now that the stage has been set as to the problem that is facing all of humanity, let's look to the scripture once again to examine what James is directing us on how to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. James 4, 7 says, therefore submit to God. And that's it, as easy as that. That's the answer. That is the answer to the, to the question, to the problem. Submit to God. As our pastor would say, after making a good point, he would say, shall we pray? (laughs) But what is submission to God? While this verse holds a simple truth on how we can walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, we do it by submitting to God. While the truth is simple, the truth is not always easy. So it is my hope for the remainder of this time that we have tonight to explore what it truly means to submit to God. Before unfolding what submission to God is, let's first talk about what submission to God is not. First off, submission to God does not mean that you no longer have a will and you no longer have a choice. That is not the case. You will not completely, your will is not completely replaced by God's will when you are in submission to God. Rather, submission is acknowledging or identifying what your will is but then prioritizing God's will over your own. Jesus demonstrates this in Luke chapter 22, verses 42, when he said, Father, if it is your will, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. This is a perfect example of prioritizing the will of God over the will of flesh. C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Problem of Pain, that submitting to God's will is not renouncing our wills given to us by our creator, but submitting, to, but submitting our will to God in a readiness to do his will. He goes on to say that if our wills and our whole personality is not actually used in living out our lives, then we have no will or no life to actually surrender to God. If we are trying to live by making no choices of our own, then what power or material of choice do we have to give to God, to render to his service, or to obey his law and his instruction? Submission does not mean that you no longer have a choice or a will, but it's prioritizing God's will over your own. Secondly, submission is also not a percentage deal. It really, is not a, it really is not submission if you are only submitted 50%, 75%, even 98%. It, it is not submission. Submission is an all or nothing. After Christian fighters captured Jerusalem during the First Crusade, pilgrims from all over Western Europe began visiting the Holy Land about A.D. 1100. 
Um, it, was, it was around AD 1100 when the, French, uh, when the French knights formed an organization called the Knights Templar. Their job was to protect these pilgrims during their visit. When these knights were baptized by the church, they brought with them their swords. But the knights didn't take their swords under the water with them when they were baptized. But instead, as they went under the water, they held their sword up above the water as they were immersed. What they were saying to Jesus was, you can have control of my life, but you can't have control of this. What they were saying was, I'm all yours, except when I'm on the battlefield. All that I have is yours, except for this sword. Today, it may not be a sword that people will hold back when submitting their life to God. Instead, it might be their wallet. It might be their purse. It might be their laptops. Maybe it's the deed to their home, their 401ks. They may be holding up their pride, their ego, bitterness, Maybe it's even unforgiveness. But true submission is an all or nothing. I read a fantastic quote that applies to this thought, and it said, the basic trouble in the human situation is that people wish to do as little as possible to get as much as possible. It is only when they are filled with the desire to put into life more than they take out that life for themselves and for others will become happy and prosperous. Isn't that, isn't that the truth? C.S. Lewis, again in his book, The Problem of Pain, he writes, to die to oneself is to, turn from your, is to turn from our rebellion against God to an attitude and readiness to do his will, whether it is something we like or not. The totality of this submission is our readiness to do his will in every area or sphere of our lives. The Holy Spirit living in us does not do the will of God instead of us, but rather the Holy Spirit within us enables us to do the will of God. So if, def so if submission is defined in the dictionary as the ability to accept or yield to a superior force or to the authority or will of another person, then submission to God is to accept or yield to the authority and the will of God. Total submission also means that there is no partial submission. There's no half-hearted submission. Submitting to God is an all or nothing commitment. I want to return to our text and inspect again what it is James was saying to the church about submitting to God. Because I believe that his instruction given to the first century church can be applicable to us here in the 21st century church today. So James 4, 7 says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, my old pastor from Wisconsin would always say that whenever you are reading your Bible and you see the word, therefore, you need to take a bit of a closer look and find out why that word, what that word is there for. So if we look earlier in this chapter of James chapter four, we find out that James is addressing some dissension that was taking place in the church. This dissension was so bad that James described it in verse 1 as wars and fighting. James was addressing this because he knew that the source of wars and fighting among Christians is always the same. There is some root of carnality, an internal war within the believers regarding the desires of the flesh. No two believers who are both walking in the Spirit of God 
towards each other can live with wars and fights and fighting among them. So James calls out the covetous behaviors and the actions that are expected of those in the world, and yet those were being demonstrated, those same behaviors and actions were being seen within the church. So in verse 4, James describes the people he is addressing as adulterers and adulteresses. And this was a a rebuke that was presented in Old Testament vocabulary. God spoke this way in the Old Testament when his people were attracted to some form of idolatry. And as James saw it here, their covetousness was indeed idolatry and that it was friendship with the world. James recognized that we cannot both be friends of this world system and friends with God at the same time. This sounds very, uh, simi- this sounds very similar to what uh, Paul was instructing in Romans chapter 8 that we had discussed earlier. And finally, James says in verses 5 and 6 that the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit has a jealous yearning for relationship. Paul then quotes Proverbs 3.34 saying, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So all this background digging just to see what therefore was actually there for, this phrase, therefore submit to God. But why submit to God? Because he gives grace to the humble. Grace and pride will be eternal enemies forever. Pride demands that God bless me right now in in light of my merits, whether real or imagined. But grace will not deal with me on the basis of anything in me, good or bad, but only on the basis of who God is. It isn't as if our our humility earns the grace of God. Humility merely puts us in a position to receive the gift that God freely gives. James used a powerful word in this phrase. He said that God resists the proud, basically meaning that God sets himself in battle array against him. I have this mental, uh, this mental image of a, of a Roman soldier with the helmet and the, the, the brass uh, chest plate and the, the arm guards and, and all the, the, the armor that this, this warrior would be wearing. That's what James is describing here. He is saying that God resists the proud by setting himself in battle array against such. The army of the, reign of the ancient Romans were accustomed to say the motto of their empire. And this is what they would say. They, their motto was to spare the vanquished, but to war continu- continually against the proud. This motto of the Romans is similar to God's approach as described by Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon said that God aims his arrows at the lofty, He turns the edge of his sword against the stubborn. But the moment he sees signs of submission, his pity comes to the front. And through the merits of his son, his abounding mercy forgives the fault. So it is with humility that we are able to submit to God. It is by denying self-sufficiency, pride, and self-obsession that we are able to submit to God. Going back to James 4, 7, says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I believe that James, after instructing the church to submit to God, he equips them with an application to their daily life of how they can do that. And here's the list of things to do to submit to God. 
reading on in verse, uh, reading on in verse eight, James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So submission to God, as James describes it, it can be boiled down to two things, humility and obedience. I've never seen two words that seem more countercultural than they do today in this day and age, humility and obedience. The mere fact that humility and obedience have disappeared from our society and our culture today, it's motivation enough for me to want to pursue those two things. Now, as I bring this message to a close, there are two examples of submission to God that really stand out to me in the Bible. The first I've briefly touched on in Luke chapter 22. It is the scene of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, knowing full well that minutes later he would be arrested, he would be tortured, and he would be crucified. But Jesus said, Father, if it is your will, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was completely submitted. His will was evident. It was there, but it was submitted. His submission was also complete. It was 100% everything as he demonstrated it in his passion on the cross. Paul writes about humility and and obedience that is demonstrated by Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And it says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Paul's writing that Jesus, he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus fully demonstrated humility and obedience in submitting to God. The other biblical example that stands out to me is from the life of King David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, we find David sitting on his throne. There is peace in the land. Life is good. David is taking inventory of his life, and he declares that even though he lives in a house made of cedars, that the ark of God still dwells in a tent made with curtains. David wants to build a house for the Lord, but God speaks to David through the prophet Nathan, and God tells David, no. God had not chosen David to build the temple. Instead, it would be one of David's descendants that would be chosen by God to build the house of the Lord. From this story, we see that sometimes God has more to teach us from his denials than from his permissions. It has been said many times that you do not know if you are truly submitted until you are told no. God has a reason for every denial or time that he says no. He may give us no explanation at at the time. He may simply ask us just to trust him. The most important thing, though, is how we react when God says no. 
King David responded by preparing all the items that would be needed for the temple. In 1 Chronicles 29, verses 2 and 3, we can see what David did with God telling him no. It says, with all my resources, and this is David talking, David says, with all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble, all of these in large quantities. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, <coughs> excuse me, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple. This man who had been de denied the fulfillment of his vision, instead of sulking about it, <coughs> he gave himself completely to the task in the best way that he knew how, preparing for something that he himself would never be able to complete. It's not submission until you don't get what you want. <coughs> Excuse me. Most of us are good at submission as long as we agree with, with the decision or until we have to surrender our wants and desires. But, Davis, but David shows us in this story that if you cannot build, you can be the one to gather the materials. If you cannot go yourself, you can send somebody else. If God has said no to you, you can make it possible for somebody else to fill that place that your heart has been set upon. The vision does not need to be in vain, even though it remains unfulfilled. For God's refusals in life are loaded with immeasurable possibilities of blessing. It all depends on how you respond to God when he says no. Do you sulk or do you seek? If you seek, you will find that God is right there with blessing, such as you have never experienced before. I love how David responds, in, in, uh, responds to God when God said no. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, verse 18, it says that King David went and he sat before the Lord. Isn't it interesting that David didn't fall on his face and beg God for, the per for permission to build the temple? He didn't plead with God to be the one to build the temple. Nor did he stand before God and protest and argue with him that he deserved the honor. But what David simply did is he humbly sat before the Lord and he said, is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Even though God had said no to David building the temple, God promised him that one of his descendants would be the one to build it. David was in awe of the greatness of God and the generosity of God that such a great gift would be bestowed upon a man like David, that his descendants would be the ones to build the temple. David thanked God for his blessings, the reality of his presence, and the promises that were made. We see David's true submission to God as evidence both through his humility and through his obedience. Reverend J.T. Uh, Pugh said, that no person can ever completely feel the rule of the spirit in his life until the self or flesh has renounced and relinquished the throne of this life. In order for us to abdicate and give up the throne of self, we need to submit to God wholly 
and completely. We cannot do as those soldiers and knights did during the first crusade and hold something back from our commitment to God. Not if we want to be submitted to God completely and to walk in the spirit completely. If you would all stand, if the music would come. I want to go back to James chapter 4 verse 8. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. In one way, this text illustrates the difference between the old, the old covenant and the new covenant. In the old covenant, God told Moses not to come any closer to the burning bush, but rather to take off his shoes because he was on holy ground. Also, the tabernacle of the Old Testament had a curtain situated between situated to separate the people from the presence of God, The veil that separated us from the presence of God was torn when Jesus died on the cross. Now the ground between God and the sinner has been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. But coming to an altar is a, a physical demonstration of responding to God's word. It is a step of faith saying, I believe what was just preached. I believe and I am responding to it. I wanna invite each and every one of you to come to this altar. This altar is open. And as we gather around the front, I want us to take this opportunity to draw near to God, to allow him to draw near to us. Maybe there's something that you have been holding back from God, not completely surrendered to him. Maybe there are some things that you can recommit to him in this moment. Submitting to God is, uh, submitting to God is, 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 is obeying whatever it is that he is asking of us. Maybe there are some here who need to reprioritize God's will above their own will. For some of us who are facing important decisions with multiple options or choices, maybe we just need to go to God, not with a list of options for him to choose from, but rather, Go to him with no options and allow him to direct us and to lead us. There's a song that says, when I come to you with, when I come, I come to you with all I need, when I come to you with nothing at all. So I encourage each and every one of us to humbly submit and obey to what God is asking of you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for your, your comforter, Lord Jesus, that you sent. And you, you put it within us, Lord Jesus, and you fill us with your spirit, God. I pray, Lord, that we would walk by the spirit, Lord, not of the flesh, Lord, that we would be fully, completely submitted to you, Lord, to your will, God, and your anointing, Lord Jesus. Lord, that we would, we would die out to the flesh, Lord Jesus, but that your spirit would lead us, God. Love you, Lord Jesus. Help us to be in obedience, Lord, I pray. Let us humbly come before you, Lord Jesus, and approach your throne, God. Lord, I mean submission, complete submission to you, God. If there's anything that I'm holding back from you, God, Lord, let me give it to you, Jesus, wholly and completely. Lord, you've been so faithful and so good, God. Just worship you, Jesus, for your faithfulness.